That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back, everybody, to another winter, cold, snowy edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. Let's get the proppers out of the way. We got a lot to go over today. Uh, We have more. I did the show last week with Nathan Erbach from Slap the Sign, and we literally recorded that show live like an hour after the news of Chip Long uh, no longer being offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So we did that on the fly, did the best we could with the information we had. More information's come out. Brian Kelly has spoken. I've had a chance to read a lot of a lot of different opinions on this. And, and more importantly than that, just have the weekend to kind of process this more in my own mind. And I want to go over it, my process with this in detail, what I want to see, what I don't want to see happen, how I think it might go. And and I want to go over that now that we have a few more days and more information, because here's the thing. Notre Dame and Brian Kelly's ramping up right now. The arrow's pointing up. There's never been more talent in the program the last 25 years than there is now. And the good news is there's way more talent coming down the pipeline. And I'm not talking about talent like, hey, these guys are good for Notre Dame to get. I'm talking talent that everybody wants offensively. Everybody. Look at the offer lists of the talent we have coming in. I don't think Brian Kelly's going to be here. Probably past 2023 is kind of what I've heard. And so the way I see it is he's got one more opportunity to fine-tune this staff and really ramp up to make one more competitive run before he rides off into the sunset or goes and does TV, whatever he's going to do. So that's the position Notre Dame's in right now. This offensive coordinator hire is absolutely critical, absolutely critical to determine whether Brian Kelly's going to kind of fizzle out here at the end, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, whatever, but not really winning anything, or if he could get this program in a couple years to where it's contending in a way we haven't seen since the glory days of one Mr. Lou Holtz. So that's what we need to go over today. And there are some other news and notes I want to hit to towards the back of the show. So let's get into it. Obviously, you can find me on YouTube at Always Irish. On Twitter, type in Always Irish. You can find me by searching there or at JKZND4. We're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher. Those are all brought to you in part by Big Heads Media. Like I always say, I don't care what you do. Like, subscribe, share, write mean comments under the YouTube uh, conversation. I don't care what you do. The interaction is what I'm after. It's healthy. It's good. We're sharing ideas. I like it. Even when you disagree with me, I don't care. It's still healthy. It's good. As always, support for the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the finest in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools to protect those family jewels. Fellas, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. I know, John, how could this be? Well, I'm going to tell you how. It's because Manscaped has redesigned the electric 
trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology that is guaranteed to not shank your crank or bludgeon your baloney bag. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-shaping deodorant and moisturizer. Guys, you already put deodorant on your armpits. Why stop there? So here's what you do. This is the perfect holiday gift. Go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code BIGHEADS, get 20% off your order, and free shipping. The holidays are here. You can't afford to accidentally over-jingle your bells or, God forbid, cause your candy cane pain. You can't do it during the holiday season. That's not very fun or comfortable. Manscaped.com, promo code BIGHEADS, 20% off your order, and free shipping. Okay, so so here's, I want to start from the beginning. And I want to play this out and, and go over it from where I sit, how I see it. You might see it differently. You might disagree. Uh, but I'm encouraged by some of this in a way I wasn't sure that I was going to be. And that's saying something for me because I'm the glass half empty Notre Dame guy. I always figure the worst case scenario is going to happen because I've been burned by Notre Dame so many times. That's my default setting, expecting the worst and then being pleasantly surprised if anything better than that happens. But here's, here's where we're going to go. The last three years, Notre Dame is 32-6, and six, okay? Only a handful of teams in college football have better records than that over the last three years. I'm sure you could guess who they are. There's five teams. Most of you, I'm sure, could guess them right off the top of your head. It's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, then Notre Dame, okay? So, so we look at this 32-6. and six, and that's very, very good. That's one point of contention I have with some of the Notre Dame fan base. And, and I take some of this just because of my delivery style and the way what I demand and what I want to see. I have this image around me that nothing's good enough, all this stuff. Here's what I want to say. I want to be very, very clear. 32 and 6 is fantastic. Nobody's sitting here and saying 32 and 6 is terrible. Okay? But what we're also saying is there's more meat on this bone. This program's in a position to do better than 32 and 6. Or I'll even say this. If you were going to go, see, here's the thing with the 32 and 6. You're beating all the teams you should beat now. Just based on roster talent, facilities, the football programs, generally speaking. No, and Trust me, that's a big deal because the last 25 years, we haven't been able to say that. But especially over this three-year run, for the most part, we're beating the teams we should beat just based on overall roster talent and program health. Okay? So that's good. The issue is the six losses are not close. So when you look at those games, well, there's there's two two trends with the six losses over the three years, really. One trend is playing a truly elite team and getting your doors blown off, a la Clemson last year. 
Well, there, there's really three three trends. One, you're getting blown out by Clemson. It has way more top-end elite skill talent than you have. Their quarterback's better. Their receivers are better. Defensive line was animals. They killed you, okay? That's one of them. The second one is when you play these teams with good defenses, we're not scoring points. We're not running the ball. Okay, so that covers Georgia in 2017. That covers Georgia this year. Okay, um, and, and then what you end up with is these other games that you really shouldn't lose, but that you just fail to show up for. That would include Miami in 2017. That would include Michigan this year. Neither of those rosters should have beat Notre Dame by that talent, by that different point differential. Absolutely ridiculous. Failure to show up top to bottom. That's a whole different issue with motivation. I've already covered that with Kelly. Whatever you're doing to prepare for the big games, do the opposite because it's not freaking working. Your teams are not prepared on the biggest stage, and I'm sick of it, and you're never going to get over this hump from very good into elite if you can't find a way to motivate guys to play loose in a big game. You're going on year 11. Figure out how to push the right buttons to motivate these guys. And so if if the 32 and 6, if the six games were all like heartbreakers, you lost the last minute and you put up decent offensive numbers, that's different. But but these games, you're not doing anything on offense. Look at it this way. 32 and 6 under Chip Long. The 32 wins are averaging 38 points. The six losses, you're averaging 13.5 points. So that is a vast difference between who you're beating and when you're playing these better teams. And I think we're now to the point where, and this is what I mean when I say I'm encouraged, it seems like even Brian Kelly's looking at this, doing what I wanted him to do and saying, yeah, we're 10-2, and two, but there's a lot of meat left on this bone. Yeah, this year the offense was averaging 41.5 points in, their, their, uh, in the games. Right? Which is great. And then you break it down. And in the two losses, you're averaging 15 and a half points at 46 yards rushing. So when you're playing these big environments, big games, the offense is underperforming. There's more meat left on the bone. Okay? It seems that Brian Kelly agrees with that, recognizes that, and that that's a part of why we're in this position now looking for a new offensive coordinator. That is encouraging to me. Just two weeks ago, I did a show saying, here are the five things that I need Brian Kelly to look at and make changes if we're going to get to the next level. The first thing that came to mind was the offensive coordinator position. Then after that was offensive line. And we're going to talk about that as we get into this because that's a key part of this. And we're going to talk about it. So it's encouraging to me to see that Brian Kelly sees what I see sees what you guys see, and acknowledges there's room for improvement here. This is the fine-tuning. The program's in the best shape it's been in in 25 years. This is the fine-tuning it takes to go from the top of pretty darn good into the bottom of that borderline elite level. We got to find a way to win one of these games. And think about it. It's it's when somebody says to me, John, why are you mad? We're 32 and 6 and you want things to get better, you know, whatever. That is a compliment that the bar now is higher than 10 and 2. It's a compliment that everybody's upset about the bowl game. 
It's a compliment that everybody was disappointed. This is going to sound weird. It's a compliment that the TV ratings went down after the Michigan game for every other Notre Dame game after it. Because people expect the playoff now. That is not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. That is a great, great thing that that bar is being raised. And it's realistic. That's the other thing. When you're 32-6 and six in three years, it's fair to have playoff as the bar. I'm not asking for a first-year coach and a rebuild to hit the playoff. We're going on 11 years of Brian Kelly here. The bar is playoff. He knows it. He's ramping up for one more big run with all this talent coming in. That's why this offensive hire is absolutely crucial. He cannot afford to make a, a mistake with this. You cannot. Again, I just I keep going back to this stat. And I know people are sick of me saying it, but it tells you all you need to know. The 10 wins this year, 41 and a half points, averaging 200 plus yards rushing. The two losses against the two most well-rounded teams you played, 15 and a half points, 46 yards rushing. That's the gap that needs to be closed. This offense needs to be more efficient, be able to move the ball against the better teams on your schedule. I'm not interested in just padding your stats against Duke and Navy so they look great at the end of the year and then losing your two biggest games. We're past that. You should be expected to blow out Duke. You should be expected to beat Navy. Okay? Like, we need to be past patting ourselves on the back. That's like me wanting a raise for showing up to work on time. Doesn't work that way. What do you do against better or equal talent? 15 points a game, 46 rushing yards a game. That's what you did. So that's why we're in this position now. That brings me to Chip Long specifically. It seems things are leaking out that it was not all... Uh, you know, things weren't great. And that's between him and the other coaches, and that's between him and the players. I've heard a couple specifics, whatever it was, it wasn't, everything wasn't great in paradise, okay? So there were personality differences, how things are handled, rubbing some players the wrong way. There, I just keep hearing this smoke, and people are telling me sto stories. There was issues there. And, and that's fine. I'm not saying it's one guy's fault or Long's fault or Kelly's fault or anything. Sometimes these things just run their course and it's just time to move on. So I'm not assigning blame to any individual person for this divorce. It was just time. And so here we are. In the first inclination you should have had that everything wasn't uh, comfortable in paradise was the fact that Long does not have another job yet, but wasn't coaching in the bowl game. And the timing of this coming out right before the recruiting signing day and all that stuff, that's a little atypical. And um, I do admire Notre Dame for doing it. Too many times you see where you wait till the signing day and then after that, right after the players are all committed, then they dump a coach and then those guys are locked in. So I admire Notre Dame for being upfront with this, doing it ahead of time. I know they reached out and met with some of the players over this. I commend them for doing that. But it was a red flag that there was something amiss 
when he doesn't have a new job and wasn't going to coach in the bowl game. So, so that was an indicator to me, and it does sound like there was issues. So now we're moving on. So now what? Okay, now what? So here's the thing. So obviously, Tommy Reese, this is so complicated because of who he is, his history with Notre Dame, him coming in in the weird way as a reliever to save those games in 2012. And there's all this. And then him getting drunk and running from the cops at a party and his mugshot. Like, and then it comes first full circle. And now he's a coach on the staff. Like the, the history here really complicates this. And it's, I think it's really unfair to Tommy Reese in this situation. And here's what I mean by that. If you ask somebody, what are the pros of giving this job to Tommy Reese? You're going to say, well, he understands Notre Dame as a school. He understands what's it, what it's like to get through just school life in Notre Dame. He understands the unique scrutiny that comes with being a quarterback at Notre Dame. He was a part of a team that went undefeated, went to the championship he knows Brian Kelly as a, a recruit, as a player, as a quarterback, and now as a coach. He knows Brian Kelly's systems. He knows all the players. He has relationships with them all. All of that stuff, you could say to me, are reasons to hire Tommy Reese for this job, and you could say it's a natural fit. I cannot disagree with any of those things I just said. But I could also flip it on you. And I could say, honestly and genuinely, all every single thing that I just stated as a reason to hire Tommy Reese for this job, I could say are the exact reasons not to hire Tommy Reese for this job. And that's, I think, the trickiest part of this that's probably unfair to Tom Reese. Right? Like you could say what we were doing wasn't good enough. We weren't as efficient. We couldn't power run the ball enough. There's a lot of points left out there. Too many things to the sidelines. Not enough guys in space, over the middle, deep balls, all this kind of stuff. You you could say all that kind of all this kind of stuff. And and I could say to you, these are all reasons why it's healthier to bring somebody outside of the program in to get totally fresh eyes on all this talent. Get a somebody with no connections, no ties, no allegiances, no players he prefers over others, just coming in blind, having a fresh look at all this talent, and having a new approach and how to maximize it the next few years. So that's where I think this gets really, really tricky. And it's probably not fair to Reese. See, the, the fear for Notre Dame people is, and I don't know whether this is fair or not, but it's the first thing I thought of when this came up and Tommy Reese's name was connected. The fear is that Brian Kelly's still going to view him as little Tommy the reliever as a quarterback and that Kelly, even if Reese is technically the OC, that Kelly's going to be breathing over his neck, pulling the strings, uh, shadowing him, kind of nudging him what he wants to do. Now, Brian Kelly said he's done calling plays. 
He's not going to call plays. He's moved more into a CEO-type role. Fine, but that doesn't mean he can't be meddling over Tommy because it's his first full-time offensive coordinator gig and be breathing down his neck in every meeting. You don't have to be calling plays to be doing that to your offensive coordinator. So the fear is that not that much would change under Reese because Kelly's still got a grasp over Tommy. Contrast that with bringing in some other offensive coordinator somewhere else in the country, Notre Dame ties, and he has an established way he likes to do it that's proven to be successful, and he comes in. It's just much less likely Kelly could stranglehold that guy than it is his homegrown protege, Tommy Reese. That's, I think, the overall theory here. And, and so in that respect, I can see positives and negatives either one of these paths. You got a lot of these players that love Tommy Reese and would love to play for him. They like his personality more than how they interacted with Long. That's just a fact. So that that's all good. But I also like the idea of getting somebody totally fresh in here that maybe has a more established recruiting pipeline somewhere. That's the other part of this. Maybe he's a more developed recruiter. Maybe he has some fresh ideas on how to use his talent and maximize it. Maybe he could find a way to make the run game more effective in these big game environments. So I don't know. Kelly did say over the weekend this was going to be an open search. He kind of said, I know a lot of people think this is already a done deal, but I, this is going to be an actual real search. That's the other thing I wanted to make sure of. I feel better knowing that he's doing that and saying that. So here's where I'm going to go with the actual search part, okay? Let's just say Brian Kelly already has it in his mind that Tom Reese is the guy and that's what he thinks he might want to do. You still need to do your due diligence, put out your feelers, and see who else is interested in this job outside the program. Even if you think you're going to end up with Reese, you still have to do this work. Even if you're not going to hire one of these guys, it's an opportunity to get another coach in a room from an outside program and say to the guy, what would you do with our talent? How would you get the running game to be more effective? How would you get our playmakers more involved in open space where there's yards after the catch to run? So, you can learn something about how other people perceive your program's strength and weaknesses offensively by getting these other guys in a room. Whether you're going to hire them or not, that is ultra-valuable information that informs you of how people outside your little circle view your program and your talent. That is invaluable. Even if you have no interest of hiring anybody but Reese, I want you to get in a room with five other guys and say, what would you do with our talent? Because that is useful. That is useful. I think sometimes you could get sucked up in this little circle where all the ideas are close to yours and everybody's close to you like Reese and Kelly is. That could be dangerous sometimes. You're sucked in a vacuum where all you know is what you know. All Tommy Reese knows is Brian Kelly. That's his whole life. That's his whole life, is Brian Kelly's system. I think he had one other year as a G, 
one year as a GA assistant at Northwestern or Duke or somewhere. But for the most part, most of his football knowledge is on Brian Kelly. So would it be healthier to go outside of that? Get some fresh ideas? I don't know. These are decisions they have to make. And so ultimately, listen, I know for the bowl game, since this was all such quick notice, and by the way, for those that aren't that excited about the Camping World Bowl, like myself, this gave me a new reason to look and pay close attention. I know they're going to share some of these duties. They're not sure who's going to exactly be calling plays, but, you know, Taylor's going to help with the run game, and then you have Tom Reese. Okay, I don't know exactly who's going to be calling plays yet, but it's going to be some sort of shared duties for this bowl game, and I'm hoping to see some new wrinkles. I know you only have a few weeks, but if I'm Tommy Reese and I have an opportunity to draw up some new plays, do something different, you better bet I'm installing that and I'm going to try and use this as an interview and show something different that works. That's the best thing he could do. And so I totally understand the idea that there's going to be shared responsibilities going into this bowl game, bowl game because of the short window of time. So Brian Kelly really has to do his due diligence here. Look at all options of what makes sense. And here's the thing. If Kelly does all this and he ends up saying that it's Reese and that for all the reasons I stated and and listen, he might be the next Lincoln Riley coming up or something. I don't know, but he hasn't proven that yet. He's not been a, a full-time offensive coordinator. So nobody knows that. But if Kelly thinks it's Reese, here's the thing. If he thinks it's Reese, I want it to be Reese 100%. This is not a training program for offensive coordinators. In year 11, when you have all this talent coming in that's elite and you're looking to make a real playoff push and maybe even better than that the next few years, this cannot be an all-hands on training exercise for Tommy Reese. So if it's him, you got to give it to him 100%, back off, let him run with it, and hope he's the next Lincoln Riley and doesn't fall on his face. The worst case, and I think this would be a total cop-out mistake by Brian Kelly, is th this is the absolute worst case I'm fine if they do their diligence and they say it's Reese. Give it to them 100%. If they say, Tommy, you're not quite ready for that. We're going to go to the outside and grab a guy who's done it, been there, under pressure, knowing what play to call when, how to handle all this. And we're going to bring a guy from the outside in. I'm totally cool with that too. And I think I actually maybe favor that route a little bit more. I want fresh ideas in this offense. But I'm okay with either one of those ultimately. The solution, I, the one solution I'm not okay with is if they cop out and say, well, next year it's going to be shared duties. And Tommy Reese is technically going to be the offensive coordinator, but with Taylor dictating the running plays and somebody else wanting to do something with passing plays. And then Brian Kelly doesn't quite tr trust Tommy to do it all alone, so he's on the headset too, overriding certain things. Like, not even with specific play calls, but up-tempo or no up-tempo, or doing this or doing that. That, 
to me, is the worst case scenario. That's a cop-out. That would be admitting Tom Reese isn't ready to do it on his own. Then you need to go to the outside. So that's the one solution that, to me, is a nightmare waiting to happen. I do not want four or five different guys all muddying this up, putting their input in. The kids don't know who to listen to. The quarterback's listening to the quarterback coach, but also this guy and that guy and this guy. That is a cop-out. I do not want to see it. If they do that, it's an admission Tom Reese is not ready to do it on his own. Then you need to go to the outside. It's very, very simple. If you trust Reese, you hand it off to him. Let him do it. Let him do it. But this middle ground wishy-washy having four or five cooks in the kitchen, it's too many voices it's too many ideas. They're going to step all over each other. The kids aren't going to know who's really calling the shots, pulling the strings. That is the one scenario here I do not want to happen. If you trust Tommy, let's run with it 100%. It's his baby to take care of. And if you don't, you find the best possible guy from the outside with an established way to run an exciting offense that can run the ball and pass the ball and that has an established recruiting pipeline somewhere Notre Dame wants to get more access to. Plain and simple to me. You got three options here. Reese, somebody fresh from the outside, or this half-assed, five hands in the pot, muddying it all up. Please do not go that option. I'm telling you, it's a recipe for disaster. So Brian Kelly said all the right things when he talked over the weekend. He talked about it being an open uh, an open situation where he's going to look at all options. That's encouraging to me. You know, if you don't hear anything like that, that means it's just going to be internal and it's over. So from what I heard from BK, I'm encouraged that they are going to do this the way I wanted. Explore every possible avenue here. That's the right move. So, so that covers the, offen uh, the offensive coordinator position. What I thought was interesting was over the weekend, Brian Kelly said, you know, we have this one position open on our staff offensively. He said it could be a tight ends guy. It could be, a, it could be an all-line coach. You know, I could bring anybody in, which tells me if you did that, you would just be kind of shifting the other guys around. Now, here's why that quote from Brian Kelly really piqued my interest. And that reason is that the offensive line is a very, very key part of this entire discussion. And when I did my five things Notre Dame needs to evaluate after the season podcast, offensive coordinator was one, offensive line coach was two. Because here's the deal. When you're playing the six games we lost, 55 yards rushing, Georgia 2017. 2017 Stanford, 154. There were defensive issues why we lost that Stanford game out on the farm the last game of the year. Miami in 17, 109 yards. Clemson, 88 yards. Georgia this year, 46. Michigan, 47. Those are the rushing totals in the six games we've lost. That's atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. You can't win big football games rushing for 50 yards a game. 
That's absolutely insulting, those numbers. So it's clear to me, over three years, there's a common trend. In the games we're losing, we cannot run the ball. Cannot run the ball. And you're not going to beat these elite teams if you can't win in the trenches. So you could go hire the best offensive genius in the world to call your plays. If if your offensive line isn't good enough, it doesn't matter. So to me, I need the offensive line addressed. I can't get over those numbers from the two games we lost this year. 46 yards rushing against Michigan and 47 against Georgia. Are you kidding me? That's insulting. As if that's not bad enough, we had over 30 false starts this year. Over 30 in 12 games. That's absolutely appalling. I know you had injuries and other guys had to stop. I don't care. You can't have 33 false starts in a 12-game season. Okay? The pass protection's usually pretty good. Fine. But I go over this all the time. When you're Notre Dame, you're traveling all over the country. You don't play one style of football. You play teams that play a bunch of different styles of football from all these different conferences, all different kinds of weather throughout the year. Notre Dame's not winning a playoff game, let alone a championship, unless they have a road-grading offensive line that can pound the ball when you need to. A lot of times this year, they tried to do it. They're just no damn good at it. They're not physical enough. They're not tough enough. They're not mean enough. Quentin Nelson's gone. McGlinchey's gone. Ronnie Stanley's gone. Offensive U is great to brag about from the years ago. What are you doing now? You're getting pushed backwards in the biggest games in your schedule. I'm sick of it. I want something done with this offensive line. So to me... I'm not going to say it's quite as big of a deal as this offensive coordinator hire, but the numbers are in. Notre Dame cannot run the ball enough to compete with the best teams on the schedule. And where we're at, that's the next step. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. It's time. And it feels like Kelly recognizes that. What would make me happy is do whatever you're going to do with this offensive coordinator higher but also I would be so happy if there was some sort of move with Quinn in this offensive line the numbers don't lie yeah that's great you can run it up on all these bad teams you're gonna beat anyways just because you have more talent when we get against equal or better opponents we cannot rush the ball even to a respectable level I need that address and I feel like a lot of people are missing that part of this when you're talking about the offensive coordinator I need a power running game I'm not saying to just do that and ignore Lindsey and Mayer and all and Jordan Johnson and all this talent we're gonna have throwing and the tight ends but you gotta be able to run it when you want to be able to run it when you have to we haven't in the biggest games it's a huge red flag I need to see something done with the offensive line along with this coordinator position. If they do both, I'm going to be very, very excited. Very excited. This is Brian Kelly's final ramp up. I think 2023 is going to be it for him. 
Everything I've heard suggests that. He knows. He has one more cycle here to kind of ramp up and get things going the next couple years, few years with all this talent. Now is the time. He's got to figure this out this year and get it right. So, I need some done with the offensive line. If you want to keep Quinn around because he's one of Kelly's longtime friends, find quality control, he could do something. I need somebody to get these guys mean. Here's the other thing. You're looking at a situation where you're probably going to have back. Your top five or six linemen are all coming back. You have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity here. But they got to be able to run, road great, run the ball when they have to. In the biggest moments, biggest games, you can't get pushed around. Happened against Georgia, happened against Michigan. Can't It can't happen anymore. You're not going to get over this hump. So, offensive line, I need something done there. I don't care if it's Reese. I don't care if it's outside. I trust them to make that decision. The one I'm not fine with is five different sets of hands all muddying up the food as they're making it, and nobody knows who's doing what. They're all stepping over each other. The kids are confused. Don't go that route. Either of the other two are fine. Don't go that route. Moving on a little bit, we need to talk about this. It came out over the weekend that Clark Lee almost got the Boston College head coaching job. And this is something I wasn't usually, if there's something going on like this, somebody reaches out to me privately at Notre Dame or one of my people, and they say, John, you, you ain't going to like this, but this is what I'm hearing. I didn't hear anything about Clark Lee in Boston College, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have been sitting around nervous all weekend. So it, I just did a show talking about how important it is that Notre Dame finds a way to keep Clark Lee around. Here's the deal. You could throw all the, you could give him a million dollars a year to coordinate this defense. If he got an opportunity to be the Boston College head coach, that's a no-brainer. See you later. I'm going shipping out to Boston. Right? So I hope this is a wake-up call. Notre Dame's got to figure this out. The time is now. You got to figure out how to keep Clark Lee. You have to. He's the all-star of the staff. His group gave up 18.6 points this year, 18.5 last year. Absolutely fantastic effort. The kids love playing for him. He adjusts when things aren't going well. Notre Dame has to find a way to keep him around. But that's how good he's been, that he's getting looks at head coaching jobs at big-time schools. So we dodged a bullet with that one, but Notre Dame's got to figure something out here. You can't lose this guy, especially to another coordinating position. That would be an insult. Boston College, there's nothing you can do. If he got that head job, he's gone, and I don't blame him. So Notre Dame needs to figure it out. The times now, that's how real it is. That's how good Clark Lee is. People are calling. You got to find a way to keep the guy. Something else that came up over the weekend, and this is encouraging news as well. It came out that Sean Crawford is petitioning for a sixth year of eligibility due to injuries he's had. And there's really no reason for the NCAA to decline it. Although I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. You know that. 
but it seems like he wants to come back next year. That's absolutely huge because corner is one of the positions next year we're really going to be hurting. Don't get me going on a couple years ago having no corners signed in that class, and then next year's the year that lack of depth's going to show up. I know your safeties are looking good, but you need good corners. So if Crawford can come back as a sixth-year guy, that's a mature leader of your program just as far as leading the other guys because you're going to have younger guys that have to play at that corner position because of this total swing and miss a couple years ago in recruiting. He's a leader no matter what. And if he stays in one piece, God bless him for fighting through all these injuries. That's a huge boost to a position group that needs it more than any other on the team next year, if you ask me. So that's a huge development, especially if he's healthy. Now, we as Notre Dame fans, we always talk about the challenges in recruiting at Notre Dame. You all know what they are, the weather, the tough academics, just how hard it is to get through school. Like We all understand that, that Notre Dame's at a, a disadvantage recruiting against the, the elite program. Specifically, just look at the way the five programs that have won more than Notre Dame's 32 and 6 the last few years. We can't recruit like them. We, we just can't. It's not realistic. I don't want to. Um, and, and, it, and it's a challenge. Here's the flip side of that. I found a positive to the way Notre Dame has to recruit. Sometimes when you have a situation like this where the offensive coordinator's leaving, you don't know what that's going to do to the kids already in the program. And honestly, it kind of sounds like everybody's happy about this. I don't. Chip Long wasn't getting along with the players. It's one thing to have disagreements with the coaches. Players had a problem with Chip Long including the quarterback. So that's a dynamic that's unhealthy and you can't really have in that offensive room. But just look at recruiting. That's the one of the first things people worry about. Okay, great. Now we're making this change. How many recruits that he went after are going to jump off board because he's no longer there, blah, blah, blah. I've been told there was one kid they thought may have had an issue with long leaving and his commitment and the staff was all over it, and they're working to smooth it over, and they don't expect it to be a flip for this recruiting cycle. That's, I think, a benefit of the way Notre Dame does recruit. Because of the, you know the line, you come to Notre Dame, it's a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. Because of the academics, because of the doors a Notre Dame diploma opens to you in your future life after football, all that kind of stuff. That's the plus side of this. Notre Dame's in a unique position where most of their athletes commit because of the school, not because of one position coach, but because of the overall life benefits a lifetime of having a Notre Dame degree provides. And that protects you against a whole bunch of kids in your recruiting class jumping ship last minute because their one guy they bonded with on the staff pieced out or got kicked out. I don't think you have that as much with Notre Dame because these are good kids from good families. They value education. They look at the long view. And I don't mean that as a pun. They look at the long view. So in that way, that is a positive of the way Notre Dame recruits. 
You end up with kids who want to be there because of the school. That's going to help minimize the recruiting impact of this particular situation. That's a positive. Also, that leads me to Wednesday being the early signing period for this recruiting class. I'm not expecting any surprises, which is a good thing. Okay, uh, a lot of these guys that do the early signing period, you only do that if you already know you're done and you know where you're going to want to go. And a lot of the Notre Dame kids uh, figure that out early with their families. And so I'm not expecting any big decommitment or anything, anybody having cold feet on signing day. It always could happen. But from what I'm hearing, things are pretty stable. So that's good. One last thing I want to touch on. This really blew my mind. And not in a good way. Okay, so Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. Had a hell of a year. Good comeback for Coach O. I just, I love what they have going down, going on down there at LSU. Those guys love their coach. He loves them. They would all run through a wall for each other. It's just this bond you could see, and I love it. And Burrow had a magical season. He wins the Heisman. Great, whatever. Fine. I was watching golf during that ceremony. I didn't, I, Notre Dame's not there. I'm not going to sit there and watch them all, whatever. Anyways, he wins it, whatever. 4.5%, which equates to about 46 individuals, did not even have Joe Burrow on their Heisman ballot. Think about that. I'm not saying they didn't have him to win, number one. 4.5% of Heisman voters, about 45, 46 people, didn't even have Joe Burrow on their ballot at all. I don't understand that. So if you want to know just how messed up the NCAA is and all their systems and how everything goes, you all know I, don't, I, I despise the NCAA. They're the most corrupt organization in the world. They just set their own rules, follow some of them, make up punishments for this, let somebody else get away scot-free. Notre Dame self-reports, they get nailed. Other teams get busted, it's nothing. Like, there's no rhyme or reason. They make a ton of money. They just, nobody governs them. They just make it up as they go, case by case, what they want to do. I have no respect for them whatsoever. And this is, a, this is an extension of that. You got 46 Heisman voters who didn't even have Joe Burrow on their ballot at all. Do you watch college football? I don't think some of these people must. Or they all have biases against LSU or what? Because there's no way. If you want to tell me you think that the defense alignment, uh, the defensive guy at Ohio State means more to his team and you're not going to vote Burrow won because of that or whatever with Chase Young... Fine, I could listen to that. Vote the kid two or three. But for 46 people to not have this kid on their ballot at all tells me something's wrong with this Heisman system. There are people who have Heisman votes that don't like or watch college football. I know that for a fact. In the Chicago market alone, where I am, I know there's people who have a vote and don't like college football and don't watch it. That's a problem. That's a problem. So I, I just wanted to highlight how absurd that is. Nobody that watched college football this year could not have that kid on their ballot. 
You want to make a reason for another kid to be number one? Fine. But for 46 people to not have this kid, something's wrong with the system. And so uh, that's what I had for this episode. I, I really wanted to just kind of talk out where I'm at with this offensive coaching process. Um, and I might do another show later in the week where I have somebody else on I wanted to interview to talk about all of this stuff. Um, and I'm going to try and do that. But how I wanted to end the show today was, if you're a longtime listener, you know I have a segment called Always Annoyed that I do at the end of the show where I just hammer on something in society that drives me crazy. I don't have patience for. A lot of times it's funny. Sometimes it's me just being mad. People really enjoyed it. I'm going to totally flip the script on you this week. And I'm going to do a segment called Always Amazed. And sometimes there's just certain things that happen where the mesh point of real life and sports combine in a way where it almost brings a tear to your eye. And I want to bring up this story and I'm sure some of you saw it on Twitter as it crossed over the weekend. But if you didn't, I want to go over it because it's really powerful. And I want everybody to look at the video, okay? Seven years ago is when Sandy Hook, the school shooting, happened in Connecticut. And we all know that story. I, I can't believe it's been seven years, but the school shooting and just how horrific that is for everybody, these innocent, you know, school kids and a bunch of people died. And I'm not trying to make this like a gun debate or anything like that, but that was seven years ago. We all remember it. Um, and now we fast forward and Newtown, Connecticut over the weekend won a state championship in football seven years to the exact date on the actual anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting. And what that means is a lot of the players that are on this high school football team survived that shooting at Sandy Hook. And a lot of their friends and classmates did not. And they had to see that. They had to experience that. They had to live with it for seven years. Why did this happen to our school? Why did my friend get shot and die and I didn't? Why did I get to live and they didn't? How could I enter any building and feel safe again the rest of my life? Like these are things that are going to follow these kids around their entire life and it should. It's justified. But I watched this video on Twitter of these, this team scoring on the last play of the game as time expires. A touchdown pass was thrown to win them the state championship. Now, as if that's not cool enough, now maybe this is just me. And if you've, if you've watched the video, you'll understand what I mean. But it was a night game, and there was this real heavy fog mist type thing over the field, like very visible in the high school, you know, lights in the night. 
And when I was watching, I just couldn't help but to think. Like, I kind of feel like that's the spirit of all those people who didn't make it and all those classmates who wish they could have been on this team seven years later. Kind of help guide this team to get that final touchdown pass into the end zone as time expires to win the championship. And that may be extreme for some of you, but it was the first thing that kind of hit my heart was, you know what? I, I kind of feel like that's the spirit of all those people who didn't make it cheering this team on and supporting them. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, sports is some remedy for this mass school shooting. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. And we could debate all night about guns and all this different stuff. My only point is, for these kids, for their families, for their parents, for that entire community, for all the people in that school district, good for them. Good for them. You think about all they've been through together. For one night, at least they had a chance where everything was good. They made the best of it. They all came together and can have a night to celebrate with their people. And no, that doesn't bring back the people that died. That doesn't mean you're not going to have PTSD over it for the kids that were there and made it out. It, do it doesn't solve any of those issues. But for one night, good for that community that they had something to rally together and to be proud of. And for them to say, you know what, we did it for all those people that didn't make it. And for all the people who have been helping us recover all these years, the teachers, the counselors, the support staff, the coaches, just everybody involved. I couldn't be more happy for them that around the holiday season, they at least have something to rally around that's positive, that brings us full circle, even if it's just for a night that they could celebrate, laugh, and cry tears of joy. So I encourage all of you, go on YouTube, look it up, and it'll give you goosebumps. Watching that final pass completion, the celebration in the end zone, the pure joy, and also take a look at that fog and that mist. And maybe you don't believe in that kind of stuff, but a part of me wants to think that maybe that's, kind of the spirits of, of those that didn't make it, encouraging them and being there in some way while they did this for their town and their community that deserves something good after this tragedy. So that's my always amazed. It struck me. I watched the video a bunch of times. I encourage you to seek it out. Congratulations to all those kids. That being said, that's going to be the show for, I don't want to say this week, I hope to put out another release later if I could get the interview I want to get lined up. Until then, we'll see you on Twitter.